All right, it's Election Sunday. Election Sunday. Sunday before the election. That's what I'm calling today, Election Sunday. And I know a lot of folks are like, come on, I'm tired of this. Do not preach a message on the election. But we are. Election Sunday, heroes, enemies, and pawns. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them and open them up to the book of Jeremiah. Here's why we're preaching on this. Jesus said at the Last Supper, at the final discourse, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus said your love, the way you love each other, will prove, will show the world, the watching world, that we belong to the one who overcame the world. Right? Our love for each other, those of us who follow Jesus, will when we love each other, the way that Jesus loved us, it will show the world that we belong to someone who has conquered the grave. Okay? This is why I radically disagree when people say things like, I can have a relationship with God, I don't need a relationship with the church. It's like, no, actually you can't. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's like me saying I can have a relationship with my wife without having a relationship with her kids. Just, it can only go so far. So Jesus called us to love each other, but one thing, now try to follow my line of reasoning here, one thing that gets in the way of, one thing that's an obstacle to, one thing that is a hindrance to our love for each other is fear, anxiety, uh, feeling like something of value is being threatened, right? When something is being threatened, when we're filled with worry, when we're filled with anxiety, what happens? Our walls go up. We go into self-preservation mode. We go into protection mode. Think of it like this. If I had a loaf of bread and that's all I had to eat, and I did not know where my next meal was coming from, I would be less likely to share it with you than if I was full of confidence that God is going to provide my next meal. Then I'd be like, I can share my loaf of bread with you. So when we're filled with worry, we do not go into self-sacrifice, serving, submitting one to another mode. Follow my line of reasoning here? Well, one thing that is creating a lot of anxiety and fear and worry right now is this election. And it is preventing us from being able to love each other like Jesus has called us to love each other. Now, we're worried about all kinds of things and we're filled with anxiety about all kinds of things and it shows up in all kinds of ways. Some of us would just say we're angry, but that's coming from a place of anxiety. Some of us are anxious about the actual outcome. We could logically see, legitimately see, certain direct implications if so-and-so wins. If Biden wins, then X, Y, and Z is going to happen, and oh no. Or if Trump wins, then ABC is going to happen, and oh no. We can see tangible, uh, direct uh, effects on our lives and on our family. Uh, from COVID to certain justice issues to the economy uh, and on and on and on, fracking and the environment, we can see tangible things happening if so-and-so wins. And that's what we're most worried about. Others of us, however, we have more anxiety because of the relationships we're in with family and friends, and we've been disagreeing with them, and we feel misrepresented, we feel misunderstood, we don't feel validated, and it's created anxiety in us. We're worried about what they're thinking about us. Some of us are just ticked off at family members and friends. We've had our sense of justice triggered because we just can't fathom how somebody 
could think so radically different from us politically, can have such radically different convictions and principles, or, or seem to at least, and vote that way. We can't, we can't understand it. Like I hear people express the sentiment that I can't understand how a Jesus follower can vote for somebody who's so egotistical and proud and boastful and arrogant as Trump. And I hear others who say, I can't understand how a Jesus follower can vote for somebody who's a, a, a plagiarizing, flip-flopping, uh, pro-choice candidate like Biden. I hear that sentiment. And we can't understand. So our sense of justice gets triggered when we're in conversations with each other. Some of us are ticked off at family members and friends who are choosing to not vote at all. Because we're like, how could you do that? There are people around the world who would love the privilege of voting. There, the, 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 how could you? I've got my grandfather served in the Pacific during World War II so that you could continue your right to vote. My uncle served in Vietnam. My sister served in Afghanistan. How could you just opt out of the voting? So we're ticked off. In fact, can you identify right now what creates the most anxiety? What are you most worried about when it comes to this election? Now, maybe for some of you, it's nothing at all. But chances are, there's something. Can you identify it? Just take a moment. See if you can identify it. Again, it could be a specific consequence of the results of the election. Could be Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to have so-and-so and so-and-so over at the same time. Doesn't matter who wins. It's been getting ugly in my family. It's been getting ugly on social media. You see the disunity in your job space getting worse. What is it? You see a, a slide into right-wing extremism or left-wing extremism, and that's what you're concerned about. Can you label it? Can you identify it? For me, I'll be honest. For me, my biggest concern, my biggest anxiety is people in our church being divided labeling each other, judging each other, uh, not, not wanting to understand why somebody thinks differently, but just putting them in a box, putting them in a category, writing them off, choosing, you know what, I ain't going to listen. Almost shutting them out. They got nothing to offer me because they think so differently. I read this week about a coffee shop in Irving, Texas called Pax and Benedict's Coffee, where in an effort to combat the divisiveness of our culture, they have this deal going on where they will offer a free cup of coffee if you come in with a friend who thinks different politically, who's going to vote differently than you. They're going to give you a free cup of coffee because that's their way of trying to combat the divisiveness of our culture. One of the owners puts it like this. He said, regardless of the outcome of the election and which side of the aisle you're on, the nation still needs to heal now more than ever. Now that made the news because it's rare. That sentiment is rare. What is more prevalent is us going at it with each other, being angry, being divided, feeding our own ego by having somebody to point the finger at as if they are our enemies. So as a pastor of True Life, that's what I am most concerned about. We get judgy with each other, label each other, tune each other out. Assume that because somebody thinks differently that, oh, they're, they're, they've been duped by those right-wing conspiracy theorists or they've been duped by those left-wing Marxists. Just put them in the category. So regarding our geopolitical situation, 
and the climate we're in, my hope, regardless of the results of this election, my hope today is to take the word of God, Jeremiah chapter 27, and try to use it to point us to a deeper trust in our big God. And the title, I'm going to give you the main point. Not the title, the main point. I'm going to give you the main point right up front here. Those of you who are in the building, we don't have screens yet. You can take notes. Those of you watching online, here's a slide for you. Don't be afraid of this election. Instead, what you should fear is not trusting God in this election. You should have a fear of something. You should have a healthy fear of not trusting God as a result of this election. Don't trust, don't fear the results. Don't fear all the other things that we mentioned. Those are legitimate concerns. But more than anything else, what we should fear is not trusting God in this election. And I'll explain as we go through this passage. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 5 through 11. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless and illuminate your word. Bless us as we, as we read it. Your spirit illuminates what has already been revealed. Make it come alive. Help it to make sense to us. We need your spirit to illuminate what you have already revealed. Let it come alive so that we can see that the, the truths in Scripture still apply today in 2020. In your name, amen. All right, so here's the scene. Israel, the nation of Israel, has been divided into two kingdoms. The southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, they've been divided, right? That sounds familiar to you. Um, they've also been in rebellion against God. They've been doing things poorly, serving God uh, half-heartedly at best. And so God is going to bring judgment. He's going to bring discipline on them. Not to completely wipe them out, but to rest ultimately restore them back to the land of Israel and, and bring their hearts back to himself. But the way he's going to do that is to bring an enemy nation called Babylon to invade and take over. And the king of Babylon is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who we may, for simplicity, call Neb moving forward. So God's plan is to bring Babylon in as a source of discipline to his people. And he's sending the prophet Jeremiah to prepare them for this discipline. Kind of like, hey guys, a spanking's coming your way. And it's coming through the Babylon. Now, you might wonder, why is God going to prepare them for this? Why not surprise them? Why not catch them off guard? Well, God wants them to have a specific response to this discipline. He wants them to respond with trust. Let's see. Let's get into it. Starting in verse 5. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. And I give it to anyone I please. Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. Let's leave that up for a moment. A couple things that are in here I want to point out to you. A couple observations. First of all, what God is saying here is that I'm in charge of everything. I own everything. Every piece of dirt on this earth, I'm in charge of. And so if you own something... It's because I've allowed you to own it. If you've got a backyard that you're in charge of, it's because God has allowed you to have that backyard out of his grace. 
Well, I earned it. I worked hard for it. Yeah, you, God gave you the ability to work hard. He gave you the ability to have your job. He gave you the ability to, to, to have a body that can, that can do that job and earn that money. It's out of God's blessing, and he chooses what piece of dirt he gives to who. That's number one. Second observation, what God is saying in this passage, is that Babylon is going to be in charge of a whole lot of dirt for a while. They're going to be in charge of a whole lot of dirt in the world for a season. Third thing, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who was an evil dude, he did not worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. God's saying, he is, look at that, my servant, he calls him, my servant Nebuchadnezzar. God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Even though he's not acknowledging God as God, God says, this guy's my servant, almost like he's my pawn. I'm going to do as I want with him. As like God's his master. And number four, an implication out of this is that, guys, this is happening. Whether you like it or not, you can't resist this. You're not going to be able to stop this. I'm preparing you for it. This is going to go down. Okay? Now, a question, you can take that off the screen. A question that I think they would be wondering, the people of Israel, as they hear this, is what about God's promises to us as, as his chosen people? What about the promises that God made to Abraham, that God made to Moses, that God made through David for us? Has God forgotten? Is God done with us? Why would God do this, Jeremiah? God, God's not like that. He, he, he's not going to put us in the hands of a super secular king, this, this nation that's going to take prayer out of schools. God wouldn't do that. That couldn't be God's will. Do you know Nebuchadnezzar? Do you know the kind of tweets he sends out at three in the morning? There's no way God would allow him to take charge here and be ruler over us. God wouldn't operate like that. We're his chosen people. Let's keep going. Next verse. All nations, verse seven, all nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. So what God is saying is this is going to go down. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be charged. Then his son, then his grandson. And then it's going to be over for him. Then I'm going to bring him down and other nations are going to subjugate him. In other words, what God is saying is Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in charge as long as I deem it necessary. And when that season is over, I am going to say, okay, you're done. And I'm going to bring him down and I'm going to put someone else in charge. Because ultimately... I'm the ruler of the universe. That's what God is saying. Now, here comes the tough part. Here comes the reason for which God is preparing Israel with this news. Let's keep going. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with the sword, famine, and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So God says, this is happening whether you like it or not. Of course you don't like it, but you don't have a choice in the matter. What you do have a choice in, however, is whether or not you are going to submit to it. If you're going to, how you respond to what I'm doing through Babylon will reveal whether or not you trust me as your God, in other words. Put that, put that passage back up one more time, Chris. 
If any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation. God's saying, you better submit to Babylon because to submit to Babylon is to submit to me. And if you don't submit to me, there's going to be harder consequences coming. And God says, I will punish that nation. He doesn't say, oh, you're going to suffer more under that nation or you won't be able to win, which is true. But he's saying, no, 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 I will punish that nation. You better submit to what I'm doing, hence the warning, hence why I'm preparing your heart right now. Because to submit to Neb is submitting to God's discipline, his sovereignty, him as the ultimate master. God, or Nebuchadnezzar is God's pawn, but God is ultimately in charge. And he's saying, Israel, Judah, you better submit to this. You better submit to this. This is my doing. This geopolitical climate that you're about to go into, into this is my doing. This is, what, this is something I'm orchestrating. Yes, Babylon is evil. Yes, they don't, they, they don't follow your morality, your ethic. Yes, they're, they're going to uh, try to take your prayer out of schools and whatnot. And yes, Nebuchadnezzar sends out crazy, boastful, arrogant tweets at three in the morning. But still, this is my doing. Hence the main point of today. I'm going to read it again. Don't be afraid of this election Instead, fear not trusting God in this election. That's what we should have a healthy fear of. Not trusting God, not responding with trust and submission. Because a refusal to submit to God is a refusal, is, is rebellion, really. It's rebellion. It's to raise our fists against God. Let's keep going. Then Jeremiah says this in verse 9. Do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums or your sorcerers who tell you you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. So what was going on it was that Judah had prophets, Israel had prophets, and the surrounding nations had their own little mediums and sorcerers who were all saying, hey, don't worry, we can beat Babylon. Don't worry, we can resist them. Don't worry, we can stand against them. Don't worry, God wouldn't let this happen. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And Jeremiah is saying, do not listen to them. They are preaching a false peace and a false optimism that will lead you into rebellion. In other words, faith and optimism are not always the same thing. Faith and optimism are not always the same thing. When we have this idea that, oh, no, God would never allow that. God would never put us. God would never put us in a situation that we don't understand. God would never put us through a confusing time. Never. No, God, God just always wants me to, you know, have, have it easy. When, when, that's, a, that's an optimism that will lead to rebellion. And instead of submission and a faith that God is in charge and his ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes we don't understand it all, but I'm going to submit to it. I'm going to have faith in it. But there were prophets preaching a false optimism. And Jeremiah said, watch out, watch out. That is presumption that will lead to rebellion that is not faith in Yahweh. And my friends, True Life Church, we're going to have, after this election, after the results, we're going to have people on both sides of the spectrum and everywhere in between trying to fan the flames of rebellion in our hearts about what, what, what the results are and what happens. 
It might, it might, it, it, it might um, the, the temptation might be an external sort of rebellion, right? Maybe we'll be tempted to go out and loot or something like that. But most likely for most of us watching here, uh, it's going to be an inward rebellion, a bitterness, a cynicism, uh, saying snide remarks when we're in certain circles about those people who voted that way or that party or that candidate, saying things on social media. He ain't my president. I ain't submitting to this. Everybody wants to believe if you know the Bible, you know that there's another king coming named Cyrus. And what's, God uses Cyrus to bless his people, to, to allow them to come back into the land. And, and, and every Christian wants to believe that their candidate's going to be like a Cyrus, that God's going to use to bless us. And, and the other guy's like Nebuchadnezzar. But I want to remind us that God used both for different purposes, for different seasons. And, and so even if the person who wins is the person that you perceive to be the wicked Nebuchadnezzar, that is still God's doing, and we need to submit to God's doing. We need to trust that this is God's doing, not respond out of fear and despair or pride and boastfulness, but that this is God's doing. And then look at the promise. We're going to finish this passage. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation Remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. He's saying, blessing will come if you submit and trust me. Blessing's going to come if you submit to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. You're going to do well in the land. Even though you'll be subjected, sub subjugated to him, to this enemy nation, you're going to do well. You're going to be blessed. And blessing is going to come through my hand. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't control whether or not you're blessed. The person on the throne, the human being on the human throne doesn't control whether or not you're blessed. I control how you're blessed, God is saying. The geopolitical climate you find yourself in doesn't control whether or not you're blessed. I control how you're blessed, God is saying. And whether or not you're blessed is dependent on how you respond to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Are you going to choose to trust that this is my doing? So again, do not, be a fear, do not be afraid of this election. Instead, fear not trusting God with this election. That's what we should fear, not responding with faith and trust. We should have a healthy fear of that. Like, oh no, I don't want to be tempted. I don't want my sin nature to be incited. I don't want my pride and my arrogance and my fear and my despair to be incited. That's, that's not responding in trust, and I don't want to respond like that. Whoever wins, they're not the hero. And they're not the enemy. They're a pawn in the hands of the king of the universe. They're not to be feared, nor are we to put our hope in them. They are a pawn in the hand of the one who we should have a healthy fear of. Now you might say, yeah, 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 but Chris, that was a specific time in history. That was a one-off. That was a fluke moment. That was specific to Israel in that time. That wasn't normative in Scripture. So I want to show you a few other passages, just a, just a few, just a couple, just a couple. Real quick, you, you, those of you who are in here won't be able to follow along, but just, just listen. Those of you online, we're going to put them on the screen. Exodus 9, verse 15 
God says to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. He says this to Pharaoh through Moses. I could have wiped you out. I could have have taken you out anytime I wanted, but I'm choosing to keep you on the throne because there's a specific time when I'm going to take you out. And I want the world to see it. I want the world to see that the God of Israel wiped out Pharaoh and destroyed Egypt in the Red Sea. And they did. The nations around said, wow, that's Israel's God. Did you hear what they did to Egypt in the Red Sea? Drowned them all. That's what God's saying to Pharaoh. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20. says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. This is Daniel. Who, who was, by the way, in Babylon at this time. And he's saying, no, 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 whoever's, whoever's ruling right now, it's because God puts leaders on their thrones. Isaiah, no, I'm sorry, Psalm 75, verse 7, says, it is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. It's his doing. He's in charge. One more, Isaiah 45, verse 1 says, this is what the Lord says to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. God's the one who opens those gates for Cyrus. God's the one who allows Cyrus to rule. God's in charge. God's in charge. God's in charge. And I know us in America, we have this thing, well, wait a second, but God's in charge, but he also gave us free will, so we get to vote, and we need to vote right, and I don't, you know, my friends and family, I need to convince them to vote the right way. And yes, absolutely, God did give us free will. Absolutely, he did. And, 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 And our leaders have free will, and they can choose to do wrong, immoral, even despicable things, which they have done throughout human history. They have that free will. They have the freedom to choose to do that. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our free will, because we're made in the image of God, our free will is only a hint, a reflection of the free will that God has. In other words, our free will is not as free as God's free will. God's free will is freer than our free will. So he can choose to override. Think of it like this. I can tell my kids, they can be playing in the driveway on their bikes and scooters, and I can say, do not run in the street. They have free wills. They can choose to run into the street, can't they? Right? Follow me? They can choose to run into the street. They can choose to disobey unless I choose to override their free will by scooping up their little arses and bringing them back into the house and saying, you don't have free will anymore to run the street because my free will is bigger than your free will and you're staying in the house now. God's free will is bigger than our free will. So even though kings and rulers and presidents have the freedom to choose to do despicable things that they're going to be accountable to, and you and I have the freedom to vote and to learn and to be informed and to go back and forth, Ultimately, God is still sovereign. His free will is just bigger than our free will. And what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good, Genesis 50 tells us, promises us. Now, another question that might pop up is, but Pastor Chris, aren't we supposed to stand up against authority at times? And resist certain laws? And the answer is absolutely. And we all know that. I think we all know that but we're still to do it with a submissive heart. 
We're still to resist certain legislation, certain policies, certain uh, wrong things, but to do it with a submissive heart. The book of Daniel is a great example of this. Under Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's son, we see Daniel and we see some of his friends who were Hebrews serving them, serving in their courts on one hand with a submissive heart, and then on the other hand, choosing to defy certain specific decrees and legislation. Like when they were told, you can't pray to Yahweh, Daniel's like, ah, I, I'm praying. And he got thrown in the lines then for it. When his three friends were told to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, they're like, we can't do that. Respectfully, we're not going to bow down. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace. But they still did it with a submissive heart. I just read a book about the uh, summer of 1964 in Mississippi. The organization SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, would mobilize all these students around the country to go into Mississippi in the summer of 64 to uh, uh, help the black community register to vote and mobilize them to vote and to teach black children in schools. And, and they were going in to defy the, the local and state authorities, push back against it, but they, one of the things that they were trained to do before they went down there was to take a beating. How to take a beating without retaliating. That's, they had to go through training for that. that that's, that's resisting certain legislation with a submissive heart. So, of course, we're to call out immoral things when we see it. Wrong legislation, evil legislation. We should call it out and say, that's wrong. Or what that president did, I think that's wrong. Absolutely, we are to do that. But there's a difference, and I think we all know the difference. We know it in our hearts when we cross that line from, I can't support this policy or this act. I have to call it out. When we cross from there into the realm of, why well, and listen to anything that administration has to say. That administration, they ain't, tell, they ain't my president. Uh-uh. And we just act boastful and proud and, and rude. We know it when we cross that line in our hearts. And when we do, we're actually resisting what God has ordained. So I pray that whoever wins this election, our response, True Life Church, is one of submission to God as the ultimate ruler. If the other guy wins, let's not wallow in despair and react in bitterness as if the enemy has won. No, 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 the enemy hasn't won. God is still our king. And if our guy wins, let's not boast and gloat and rejoice as if our hero has come to save the day. God is still king. He's still the king. That's idolatry. We serve God, we worship God. I'll say it one more time. Don't be afraid of this election instead. Let's fear not trusting God with this election. Let's fear and have a healthy reverence for the God who is in charge of this election. Now, you might say, well, what does that look like? I want to give you just two things as we close. Two things that that looks like in my, in my mind. There's probably more. But two things that I think practically we know if we're trusting God with this, if, 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 if these two things are at play in our lives. Number one, we're loving each other, especially those who think different politically. Again, I want to show you John 13, 34 to 35. 
where Jesus said, a new command I give you. He's talking to his disciples who were different. They came, they, 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 they came at things different politically. You had Matthew, a tax collector. You had zealots. I mean, they had came two different political aisles there. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you can love one another with all the differences that you have, the world will know that you belong to me, that my spirit is actually alive in you. Can we love our brothers and sisters for whom Jesus bled and died even though they think different politically? Can we do that? I would submit to you that if we can't do that, then we have made our political party or candidate our hero, and that's idolatry. I'll be honest. Sometimes I get the impression that we are more troubled by a friend or family member who believes in Jesus but rejects our political viewpoint rather than somebody who agrees with us politically but rejects Jesus and is headed to an eternity without him. In other words, I get the impression sometimes that we would rather persuade somebody to see things politically the way we see it than theologically land on Jesus. That's the impression I get sometimes. Like, yeah, I'll tell you about Jesus, but what I really want to do is win you over politically. That's dangerous. That's not trusting God. So how do we love each other? How do we love each other? I, listen, I, I, we just did this Peacemaker podcast series. Imperfect. I know a lot of you guys had opinions of how it should have went. Next time, put those into effect. I never do anything well the first time, ever. Um, just, just tried it. But the point of it was to just listen to each other. Find out, hey, how come somebody votes and thinks differently than me? Just to try to listen and understand, not to debate, not to fix somebody's perspective. You might have had a question as a result of that. How come so-and-so thinks that way? Ask them. Maybe somebody in your family, ask them, hey, help me understand. Instead of going to the person that you know is going to agree with you and say, can you believe so-and-so? Can you, I don't understand how so-and-so can think that. No, no, go ask so-and-so. And then listen. And then listen. It doesn't mean you're going to end up agreeing. Probably you, you won't. But at the very least, you might understand, oh, you know what? Their story makes sense. The way they vote makes sense in light of their story, the pain they've been through, the experiences they've made, what they've seen. That makes sense now. Listen. Just listen. And then you have, maybe have respect for it. You might not agree, but you might have respect. Now, you might think, well, no way. I'm not going to respect that. I still think it's immoral. I think it's wrong. All right, let's, let's say that worst comes to worst, you still think it's wrong the way somebody thinks, that it's actually born out of some sort of selfishness or, or pride or, or something like that. Overlook their flaws. Just like you have flaws that you need people to overlook, you overlook their flaws. Forgive them. Let's assume, let's give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that you look at our political situation the exact same way God does. Let's assume that you have the clearest eyes you see it perfectly. Let's assume that's the case. You still have other flaws in your life. I hope that you would acknowledge that. So forgive the, that person their flaws. Can you do that? Overlook it and still love them. And, and then in addition to that, pray for them. If you think they're so wrong, pray for them. The last time I checked, the Holy Spirit has more power to persuade somebody's heart than that article that you found in the Atlantic or a Breitbart 
or wherever else. The Holy Spirit's more powerful to move somebody's heart, help them see things differently. Pray for them. So that's, that's the first one. We love each other. The second one is another fruit of us trusting God is to pray for those in authority. Scripture tells us to, to pray for those in authority. Um, are we going to obey it? Are we going to obey Scripture? 1 Timothy 2, verses 2 to 4 is just one example where it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray for kings and all those in authority. That means presidents. That means even presidents in America in 2021 whoever gets inaugurated in January, we pray for them. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. It actually pleases, you want to please your Savior? You pray for whoever becomes president. You pray for your governor. You pray for your mayor. You pray for those in authority. You exercise your free will by praying for whoever's in charge. And do you realize the power that is? You get to pray for their salvation. You get to pray for wisdom. You get to pray for blessing on them. You get to affect the geopolitical climate of the world by praying. Do you understand that? In our last political podcast that we released, Pam Hess talked about how she prays regularly. And she was talking about that. And Lizzie Tapper responded and said something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, Pam, uh, it, it inspires me and it gives me great hope to know that people are actually praying for our president. Because you're right, there is power. God's people has power, but it's not in the power to persuade each other. It's in prayer. We have power in prayer. We get to change the world through prayer. I heard this little analogy this past week. A little boy was on the beach he was waving to a ship that was taken off. He was trying to wave it down. And an old man was watching him. And the old man said, son, the ship's not going to turn around because you're waving at it. Soon enough, however, the ship turned around, came back to port, pulled into the dock. The little boy ran up to the ship and he turned to the old man and he said, the captain is my daddy. The captain is my daddy. The captain of the world is our daddy for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and been adopted into his family. He's our daddy. We get to come to him and say, can you, ch there's this thing going on over there in Washington, D.C. Can you change it? Can you move it? Can you shift this person's perspective on it? We get to come before the captain of the universe and say, can you move those pawns a different way? I actually want to encourage us. We're going to take a few moments, and if those of you who are watching online, you might be tempted to turn it off at this point because you're going to be in your living room and it might not feel the same, but I, I want to encourage you to stay with us. Stay with us. We're going to take a few minutes and pray. I'm going to call the band up, and before we sing a closing song, we're going to pray. Another thing that Lizzie Tapper said on that, piece, that podcast was that, you know, we got to remember that God really does have the whole world in his hands. He really does. So we're going we're gonna to exercise our trust in that by praying right now. We're going to pray for whoever wins this election and whoever loses, because they're still going to have a degree of power and influence. 
We're going to pray for those family members and friends who think different politically, even the, maybe the people in our church community who you got annoyed or frustrated with in the last few weeks. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for that person. Name them to God. And I also want to encourage us. I'm going to lead us for a few minutes. We're going to pray for the persecuted church around the world who are living under government rule that is far more oppressive than the worst scenario we're going to end up with over these next four years. You think the worst case scenario? There's brothers and sisters who are dealing with far worse right now around the world. And today's a day, November 1st, where we're, the church in America is called to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world to remember that this is a big world. We're, we're a little tiny sliver of it. I want to show a photo. Do we have that photo, Jeff, Pastor Jeff? I want to show a, a photo of, of one guy that I've been praying for. His name is Yusuf. He's in Iran. He was arrested. He's a father of two. For being a Christian, for gathering as a church, they busted in. A few of them were taken. He was taken, sentenced to 10 years in prison. Doesn't look too much older than me or maybe probably younger than me. He's got two children. They are going to school. Their school credits are, are not counting because they're Christians. Imagine your kids going to school and being told, no, 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 they're not passing first grade. They're not passing second grade. They're not passing third grade because of their faith in Jesus. We don't allow that. That's what his two children are, are dealing with. That's what his wife is dealing with while her husband is in jail right now. Now, now by God's grace, his, his, his sentence has gotten reduced to six years. We want to pray for a release for him and for his other um, fellow Christians who are in prison there. We want to pray for him to be released. We want to pray for the gospel to take uh, root in a greater way in Iran, more missionaries to Iran. We'll pray for him. He's in prison. Maybe, maybe people can visit him. Maybe, 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 maybe if, there's a, if there's a way to support his, 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 his legal team who are fighting to, to get his sentence reduced even more. But there are people around the world who are living in corrupt situations where they're not given a jury of their peers. So, I'm going to lead us and I just want to ask you to participate. First of all, Jesus, we come to you and we thank you that you are in charge. God the Father gave you, God the Son, the name above all names. That at your name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord, you are curious. Lord of Lords, Caesar is not Lord. The President is not Lord. You are Lord, you're in charge. We acknowledge that right now. No matter what happens over these next few days, that does not change. And we wanna take a moment right now to confess any pride, arrogance, idolatry or fear that we've had these last few days or weeks or months. And go ahead, I just wanna encourage you to just confess quietly to God.
any self-righteousness towards a family member or a brother and sister, someone in your church community, a friend at work, gossiping about them because of their political views. Confess it. I want you to be blessed. I don't want your sin or my sin to get in the way of God blessing our church community. Now, Lord, we ask that you would bless these candidates. First of all, that your will be done. But we also pray for their salvation. Pray that uh, their eyes would be open to see you for the treasure that you are. I want to specifically, I know there's some independents and people who are just not voting at all, but I want to specifically encourage those of you who are uh, Republicans to pray for Biden and those of you who are going to be voting for Biden to pray for Donald Trump and their respective teams. Pray for blessing on their lives. pray that you're going to see them in eternity, that God would get a hold of their hearts if he hasn't already. They're not our enemies. Now let's pray for, uh, sorry, let's pray for a family member or that friend, that person who has ticked us off. Let's pray for them. Lord, help us to understand their perspective. Help us to have more patience. Help us to talk less, listen more. Help us not to look at them with self-righteousness as if we have all our facts straight and they don't. us to love so that the world will know that we belong to you. Go on, think of that person who's ticked you off recently because of a post, something they said. That person's view that you just want to fix so badly. Pray for them. (laughs) Pray for them. Finally, I want us to pray for Yusuf. Can we put his photo back up one more time, please? I know those of you in here can see it yet, but 
There's Yusuf. God, make a way for him to be released. God, move in the hearts of the corrupt judges. Use him while he's in prison to get your gospel out to the guards and other prisoners. Bless his family, protect his wife, protect his children. God, I pray that their education would start to count, that they would get those credits. I pray that his legal team, the doors would open for his legal team. And we pray for more people like Yusuf who are willing to go to prison because you are such a great treasure to them. We pray for more people like Yusuf in Iran. We pray for all the other Yusufs out there, all the other brothers and sisters who are undergoing wicked, corrupt government persecution because of their faith in you. We pray that as they get squeezed in persecution, that what comes out is worship of you. But we also pray that the squeezing stops. And I pray for our church, Lord, that we would remember that the difficulties and inconveniences that we face here that while they are legitimate and, and some of them are, are really concerning at times, we don't want to diminish that. But God, that, I pray that we would also remember that there's so much going on around the world and that we would also stop and go, you know what? There's a lot of restrictions in the way we gather right now here, but there's so many more in other places. And God, I, want to, I, just, I don't want to just complain about the here. I want to pray for the over there. Let's go out singing one last song about God's bigness. Our great God who's got the whole world in his hands.